morning, everybody. It's, uh, it's really great to be able to, to come again and to, to gather. Um, after a few weeks away from you all, it's lovely to be back. My name is Mark, and it's my uh, privilege to be the pastor in training here at, at BCFC. Um, and it's a great opportunity for us this morning to come and to, to worship the Lord together. We come into his presence um, to, to enjoy being with him. Uh, we're told that where two or three are gathered, there he is in our midst. And he is in our midst this morning in a special way as we gather as his people to, to give him worship. Alison's going to come now and give our reading from, for this morning from Haggai chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 9. So as Mark's just said, this morning's reading is from Haggai chapter 1, verse 1 through to chapter 2, verse 9. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. I've practiced that but still get it wrong, sorry. Governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehovah. Hosadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Sorry, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labours. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, The word of the Lord came to the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, 
Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray just before we come to look at that word. Father, we pray that you would be speaking to us this morning clearly. We pray that you would help us to hear clearly what it is you are saying to us. And we pray that you would change us by the power of your Spirit that we might be the people that you have called us to be. And we pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. So as, as Alison has, has just read those verses, this is the, the book that we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks. Um, it's my privilege to be able to do that um, as Duncan is away on holiday for the next two weeks. So I thought a two-chapter book would be ideal for a two-week series. Um, but it's also a really pertinent book, I think. It's maybe not a book that, that many of us have looked at all that much, but it speaks to God's people who have got distracted and a people who are living in a time where there is so many things vying for their attention and their priorities have slipped and, and Haggai comes to again call them back to, to what it is they ought to be doing, uh, to remind them who they are and whose they are. Um, we're going to look at this book, as I said, over two weeks, and this week we're going to look at the, the verses that Alison's read for us, uh, and I've entitled this God's Building Plan, and then the, the last section of the book we're going to look at under the title of God's Blessing Promised. So this morning, God's Building Plan. Um, because it's not familiar that much, hopefully this will help if you can read it. Um, but just to give us a little bit of context of where, we're, where we are when we're coming to this book, um, the book of Haggai, he's, he's writing in the year 520 BC. But previous to this, God's people had, call, had been called to, to be obedient to him, to live as his people in his place under his rule. But they disobeyed. They, they sought to live by their own rules, and they ignored God's warnings time and time again. And eventually, God sent the nation, the empire of Babylon, to come and to, to take these people out of their land, to take them into captivity and exile. Uh, and they, they dealt a, a, a terrible blow when they, they sacked Jerusalem, and the temple was destroyed in the year 586 BC. The people were carried off into exile, away from their nation, away from the center of worship, away from the place where God's promised presence was, and they were in exile for many, many years, until in the year 538 BC, the Persian Empire overthrew the Babylonians, and King Cyrus 
was now in control. King Cyrus, he dealt favorably with God's people. Instead of keeping them as, as captives, he said, you can go free. And he sent them back to the land with free passage, and he even provided resources for them to, to rebuild the temple. God's people who had been in exile and away from the temple for so many years were now free to go and worship God again and to rebuild the city, to rebuild the temple and this place of worship. And so they, they, they do, they return, and they start to building the temple. Well, they start, first of all, to, to building the altar, the place where where sacrifices for sin were made. And the altar is established, and they begin the foundation laying of this temple. And as this foundation stones are laid, some people who knew the temple in Solomon's day, which was an incredible structure, overlaid with gold almost everywhere, ornate and full of splendor, the people who had known that temple, they wept when they saw the foundations of this one saying how far short it had fallen. Those who hadn't seen that rejoiced. So there was this great noise on that day when this, these foundation stones were laid. But soon afterwards, opposition arises. People who were opposed to the building of this temple are people who wanted to, to bring their own gods and their own various worship into this temple came up against the Jews wanting to build this temple. And, and so because of disillusionment and opposition, building stops entirely for 16 years. Nothing is done. God's people had returned by his grace to their place. They are back in Jerusalem and they've begun building, but they stopped doing what they should be doing. And so it is in Haggai chapter one that Haggai comes and speaks in the second year of King Darius, the king of Persia now who had taken over from Cyrus. Haggai comes to speak to the people. And, and the message is, is a wee bit different than many of the other prophets who came warning of judgment, but it is a message of rebuke and it's a message of correction because they had completely set aside what it was they were supposed to be doing. I don't know about you, but um, I'm somebody who is very easily distracted. Um, Lisa will, will ask me to go and get something from the garage, for example, and I'll go and I'll get the keys and I'll spot something on the floor and take it to the bin. And I'll see that the bin is full and I'll go and empty the bin and then I'll stand outside with the keys to the garage in my hand and wonder, why am I holding the keys to the garage? Uh, it's a trivial example, but you know, I am so easily distracted and I wonder if you are too. So often we, we set out to do something, we've got good intentions, we get distracted, we get waylaid and we forget entirely what it is, what we were supposed to be doing. And, and we do that with, with small things and we do it with big things. And we get distracted from the important work of, of nurturing our, our spouses and, and, and leading them in godliness. We, we get distracted from, from raising our families and teaching them about Christ. We, we get distracted from our, our friendships even. We get distracted from intentionally investing in people to build them up. And often that is because of the busyness of life, our competing priorities. We don't see the importance sometimes, and sometimes we just, we get distracted. And this is the, the situation that, that Haggai comes to speak to. The people have become distracted, terribly distracted. He comes to speak to them and to tell them, 
you know, what they should be doing and to remind them of God's building plan. So we're going to look at the, the building plan that we, we see here in, in three main points. Firstly, we see the priority of it. We th- see the priority of God's building plan in verses 1 to 6 of chapter 1. And then we see the purpose of his plan from verses 7 through to 11. And then we see the presence in God's plan. Uh, his presence in his plan, we'll see that in two parts, uh, in his people and actually in the building itself. So in his people and in the building. So the, the priority, firstly, well, verse 4 is quite a, a call to the people, the people who had become distracted. And they had, they had used, in fact, the resources that were given to them by King Cyrus. They were resources that were supposed to be used for the building of the temple. God had supplied all that they needed. He'd given them instructions. Opposition arose, disillusionment happened, work stopped. But they didn't stop doing everything. They just changed tack. They, they instead channeled their energies into building their own houses. And, and there is quite a rebuke here in verse 4. It says, you know, the people said, you know, it's, it's not yet time to build God's house. And God retorts, well, is it a time for you to be living in your paneled house as well? My house is a ruin. This is quite a, quite a sharp rebuke, I think. Um, and the people are told to consider their ways. We see that, that coming up a couple of times, four times in, in full in the, in the whole book, twice in the passage that we're looking at this morning. In verse 5 and verse 7, God says, consider your ways. Think about how you're living and what you're living for. You're going mindlessly about your, your day-to-day activities, and you're channeling your energies and efforts into making yourself comfortable and secure. But how comfortable and secure are you, really? You know, we, we pointed out very early in this, this chapter of chapter one that all of their efforts were falling short, and that they were, they were putting money in, in bags with holes in it, it says. You know, it's like there is massive economic uncertainty. There's inflation. They're earning wages, and the wages just seem to disappear. And, and this is at the forefront of their minds. How can they make themselves more secure? And, and they, they have food, but it never satisfies them. They're never full. They've got clothes, but they don't keep out the cold. And so they, they are focused on these present, real, pressing issues of economic hardship, of trying to rebuild their lives in a place that was ruined and ransacked. And their energies are now on how do we build a safe, secure place for ourselves. And what they do is they neglect the one thing that actually they need in order to be safe and secure. It's the worship of God is going, it's going neglected while their own lives are being attempted to be rebuilt. And, and the, the application really is very clear for us here, isn't it? What, what are our priorities in life? How are we living Do we consider our ways or do we just kind of go from day to day doing our daily activities with with little thought to actually God's building plan? Um, I know it's certainly something I'm very guilty of that, you know, you you, you just go from day to day activities and, and you pay little attention to actually the one thing 
that is most needed, the one thing that will provide real and lasting security, the one thing that provides true comfort, that is being in the presence of God. The people neglected gathering together in the temple to build this temple and to worship God for all that he is worth. And so God doesn't come and say that there is going to be a judgment. Actually, he tells them to think about what they're doing and to do what they should have been doing at first. Go back to what they were doing. He tells them in verse 7 to get back to building God's house. Put your priorities straight, he tells them, and to, to go and to collect wood for the building of the temple. And we find very, very quickly after that what the purpose of this building plan is. We've seen the priority because God's worship should be first. You know, we need to seek his kingdom first in order that we would have real and lasting security. We would know true joy. The purpose that, that God states in verse 8 of chapter 1 is that he may take pleasure in it and that he may be glorified. You know, the, the, the purpose for them building God's house is not first and foremost that the drought would stop and that the harvest would increase and that life would be good. That is not first and foremost the purpose of them building God's house. And, and we do great injustice when we, when we preach a gospel or if we hear a gospel preached that, you know, to be a Christian means life goes well. If you, if you please God, well, he'll give you what you need and what you want. That's not first and foremost the purpose of building God's house. It is that he may be glorified and that he may take pleasure in it. You know, the, the, the building of God's house is not some sort of um, act of bribery that the people are to do, that they, they do something quid pro quo. You know, they give God something and he'll give them something. But actually, the giving to God in of itself is something that they are to do because it is pleasurable to God and it glorifies him. And actually, glorifying God is our greatest need and our highest good. He is the one who is worthy of all of our praises and all of our glory. And when we do not put him first, we end up in the position where actually we are robbing ourselves of the thing that gives us satisfaction and gives us joy and comfort. We see here that God calling the people to live in a certain way, to please him and give him glory. There is, in fact, a way that we ought to live to please God. There is a way that we should live to please God and to bring him glory. And it is to, to put God first. But you know, it's not something that we can do, naturally speaking, by ourselves. Naturally speaking, each of us goes our own way. Each of us lives lives for ourselves first. We might kind of pay lip service to God now and again, but actually our hearts without God, we are bent in on ourselves. We are self-focused people, and we, we seek to build our own kingdoms. We don't naturally want to build a kingdom for God, to build a house for God, to, to live lives that, that give him pleasure. Something has to change for us to be able to do that, to be able to respond to that. Something has to change for the people here in Haggai, for them to be able to respond to the message of Haggai. Haggai comes and gives God's word to them, and we do see that actually they obey. 
If you look from verse, verse 12 of this chapter, the people obey, but, but something has to happen for them to obey. It's not that they look deep inside themselves and dig deep and become self-disciplined and so are able to live lives that are pleasing and glorifying to God. The thing that happens is the presence of God. The presence of God is the transforming power in this passage. It's the thing that changes these people from being distracted people who have muddled priorities to being people who respond to God's instruction and obey. And we see that, don't we? We see in, in verse 13, the presence of God with his people here is what makes the difference. In verse 13, we're told, Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And then we see what happens. We see this stirring up of the people. We see it three times mentioned that, that Zerubbabel and Joshua and all of the people, their spirits are stirred up. They are changed by the presence of God and they come together in full obedience to God's commands, and they do what they had been instructed to do. They come and they build, or at least they start the work of building here. You know, it's, it's only as God comes and dwells with us and dwells in us that we have any ability to do what pleases him. We need hearts that desire the things that God desires. And naturally speaking, none of us have those hearts. We need God to come and give us new hearts. And that is the message of the gospel. That is what God does in Christ and through his Holy Spirit. People who have hearts that are selfish are given new hearts. When we come and we repent of our sin, and when we come to God and ask of forgiveness, he, he lavishes his grace upon us, he forgives us. He doesn't just leave us as we were. He gives us new hearts with new desires by the power of his spirits. But as we see here, you know, Haggai is speaking to God's people who knew his ways, who did love him. They just become distracted. So we need to be reminded continually. These people needed to be reminded continually of God's presence with them. And they needed to be stirred up continually by his spirit so that they might move to do God's work. We need that ourselves, don't we? We need to be reminded that God is with us. We need to be stirred in our spirits to do the things that God would have us do and no longer to live lives that are just for our own comforts, but lives that, that please him and, and glorify him. And we see that God's presence is, is, is told to the people in this verse 13. We also see it in, in chapter two, as we read down a little bit to verse four, you know, the people, they became again disillusioned after beginning this building work. And it, it echoes back to, to that, that first rebuilding 16 years previous when the foundations had been laid and they looked at it and it was unimpressive. You know, the people looked and they thought, you know, those who had seen Solomon's temple, these, these efforts that we've made, they looked like nothing. It looks seriously, seriously unimpressive. But God, again, he calls them to persevere in the work. And what it is that causes them to persevere is his presence with them. We, we read that in verse four of chapter two. 
He says, um, be strong, O Zerubbabel. Be strong, O Joshua. Be strong, all you people. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. The motivation for the work and the reason that the work is even possible is because God is with his people. And we need God to be with us. If, if anything we are to do is to, be, is to be fruitful, is to be glorifying to him. The, the start of chapter two, it, it talks about this, this disillusionment because of this unimpressive building project that is currently underway. You know, they, they are called to the, the glory of Solomon's temple and they, they compare what they currently see and there is no comparison. It looks utterly unimpressive, but God, as we've read, calls them to persevere because of his presence in them, but also because of what he is going to make this place into. He, he tells them that he himself, although they are called to work, he himself is the one that is going to build this temple into a glorious place, that he is going to, to shake the nations, that he is going to, to bring the wealth of nations into this place so that its glory would surpass even the glory of the temple of Solomon. Now, physically speaking, that seems utterly impossible. And, and as we look at the, the physical temple, I don't think we see the, the, the surpassing of the glory and the splendor in terms of just gold and silver and physical objects. Solomon's temple was unsurpassed. Herod did build additions to the temple that were glorious and wonderful. And the disciples, when they walked with Jesus in Jerusalem, they, they marveled and they looked at, wow, look at such great stones. Christ, he, he pointed them to a greater temple. He pointed them to himself. He said, I, I am the temple. I am the one that these verses are, are pointing to. Christ himself is the one who is unimpressive to the people of his day. You know, he had no beauty in him that we might be attracted to him, Isaiah says. And yet, in Christ, the one who seems unimpressive, the glory of God dwells. Christ is fully man and fully God, and the fullness of God dwells in him. It is in him that the, the fulfillment of Haggai comes, that the temple is rebuilt in splendor that surpasses the splendor of Solomon's temple. And Christ tells us that there is, there is another temple, that there is a temple that, that he is building and that he is currently building, and, and we are it, unimpressive as we look, just like the, 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 the temple rebuilding here in Haggai. It doesn't look terribly impressive. But, but, you know, appearances are deceptive. Appearances are deceptive because God's glory dwells in us by the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit. You know, when, when people become Christians, the Bible tells us that his spirit comes to take home in us. He dwells with us. And, and there is a great building plan that is underway that God has for his kingdom and we are part of it. We are part of his church. And, and Christ, before he left his disciples, at the end of Matthew's gospel, he gave them this great commission that they were to go into all of the world making disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to be obedient to all that he had commanded. 
And again, we get the same reassurance that Haggai gave to the people that we read about Joshua being given. He said he would be with them even to the end of the age. It is God's presence with his people that enables the building, that enables God's building plan to to happen and to thrive. And God is at work even here, building a people that will be glorious. And we, we see that only in part now. But as we look to the end of the Bible, to Revelation, we see God's church perfected. We see the church called the Bride of Christ united with Christ in all glory and splendor like nothing anyone in Solomon's day could even imagine. A glory and splendor that, that shines brighter than the sun that we cannot grasp in our wildest imaginations. But this is God's building plan. Now, that, this is the grand scope of his building plan, that this is something that we so easily forget in our day-to-day, isn't it? We can so easily get distracted. We can so easily get focused on our own priorities and, and forget God's priority of his building plan. We can forget the purpose of God's building plan, that it will please him and give him glory, that it is for our good and his glory. And we can forget the vital importance of God's presence in his building plan, his presence with us, his people. And so how do we respond this week? How do we respond as individuals to this message about God's building plan? Well, I guess perhaps the first place to start is to to consider our ways, to actually think about what we're doing. It's not something we, we sometimes do, is it? We often just go from day to day without, without considering what things we are, we are placing first. And, and sometimes unintentionally, we put lesser things ahead of God. And so this week, let us, let us consider our ways. Let us think about how we order our lives and, and what we need to do in order to, to give God and his worship the place of priority. And... and How do we respond as a church to this call to be part of God's building plan? What does it mean for us at Bankery Christian Fellowship Church? When we think about our priorities, do we we think about the, the, the vital task of church planting? You know, that there is very little in the way of gospel proclamation in this part of the world, where once it was the the land of the book. We are a nation of people that, by and large, know nothing of God. And surely this should, should place a burden on our hearts to think, you know, what has God called us to do as a church to build his kingdom in this area? And as we look around us, there are so many opportunities. When we look out to Aboyne and beyond, perhaps God is calling us to invest, to prioritize in building his church in these places. And you know, this isn't just a, a, a snap thing that we do. Even in Haggai's day, you know, when the people were called to build, there was preparatory work that was required. They had to first go out into the hills and gather the wood, get the supplies, get the plans in order, and start building. They didn't just throw things together, but they needed to know the plan. And so, so do we. We need to consider 
How do we plan? How do we prepare? How do we invest in one another? How do we build each other up so that we are prepared to, to be part of God's building plan? The, the ultimate and vital importance point in this is that we do not do any of these things in our own strength and for our own glory, but it's all for God's glory and because He is with us. He is the one who sends us out. He is the one who equips us. He is the one who enables us. And so this week, as we go about our, our day-to-day lives, let us, let us be conscious of God's presence with us. And let us go forward in obedience as, as we pray for him to, to stir our spirits, that our hearts would, would line up with his desires, that we might change our lives in order that they would be pleasing and glorifying to him. Let me pray. Father God, we, we come to you this morning and we, we recognize that, that so often the things that we place first in our lives, the things that we, we, we treat of highest value and importance, they pale in significance to your value, to your worth, and to your glory. Lord, would you forgive us the times when we, we get distracted and we forget who it is we are, who it is you have called us to be, and what it is you have called us to do. Lord, would you help us to remember this morning your mercy and your grace that has set us free from living lives that revolve around ourselves, from living lives that um, seek after our own comfort and satisfaction, our own short-term gain. Would you help us again to to recognize the greatest value and worth of living lives that are pleasing and glorifying to you. And would you help us to consider this week our ways? Help us to, to repent when we need to repent. Help us to press on when we need to press on. And help us to do it all knowing that you are the God who gives your presence to his people. That you are the God who enables us by your spirit to do the things you've called us to do. And it is you who make your plans succeed. And we thank you for that. Father God, would you continue with us this morning as we worship you. Lord, would you help us to to come into your presence as we, we celebrate communion together in a little while. Would you help us to examine our hearts as we do that and to, to rejoice in the fact that we are, we are made fit to gather around your table not because of our works and because of our efforts, but because of your work in us. Father God, we do pray for ourselves as a church here in Bankery. We pray that you would, you would be empowering us and equipping us. But Lord, we pray that you would, you would help us to be sensitive to your calling. Help us to know what it is you would have us do in your building plan. Help us to, to look not to our own individual interests, but look to the interests of others as we seek to build one another up. Lord, help us to prioritize, prioritize your kingdom. Help us to, to reach out to those in our, in our congregation, in our church here, who are, who are suffering, who are struggling, who are weak, who are faltering in their faith, perhaps. Lord, help us to to have eyes for those who, who need to be 
encouraged and strengthened and built up. Lord, would you help us to do that for our young people? Help us to to support and to encourage them in a world surrounded by so many distractions and so many things vying for their attention. Would you would you help us to, to point them to you? And uh, Lord, we pray for all of those kids in Connect, those young teenagers and those who are soon heading off to university. Lord, we pray that you would protect them by your presence. Lord, we pray that you would remind them that as they go out into the world, that you are with them and that they can be, they can be strong in the strength that you provide. Father, we pray for Um, the work of discipleship among the men in this church. We pray for um, the the men's breakfasts that happen and the the gatherings of of men seeking to encourage one another to to better live lives that please you and glorify you. Lord, we we pray for our our unity here as a church, that we we would come together to build your kingdom not in our, our strength, but in yours and for your glory. And Lord, we do think of the work of outreach in this area. We think of the, the Holiday Bible Club that's coming up, and we, we pray that you would use this. You would use the Holiday Bible Club as a means of building your kingdom here, that you would use our weak efforts to glorify your name. And we pray for the kids that would come along and the families that they represent. We pray that they would hear the gospel that they would be called to you and that they would be saved and that they would be transformed by your presence in their lives. Lord, we do pray for our community of Bankery and we, we pray for the lack of gospel outreach and the gospel witness that is sadly evident, Lord. And we pray that you would, you would use us to, to be a gospel witness and Lord, that you would be building churches and churches would be planted in this region so that in years to come we might, we might be grateful for how you have built your kingdom, how you have built churches and how your, your name has been glorified through this. Lord, we pray these things not for, for our glory but for yours and we, we come recognizing just how, how unable we are to do these things in our own power and so we, we ask that you would, you would be with us and that you would bless us and that you would build your kingdom here. We pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.